Barney's doesn't guarantee success. Vogue doesn't guarantee success. What guarantees success is if you actually find an audience that actually loves your product. We've been very slow to change in terms of how technology has impacted our lives. A new social network can pop up overnight and completely change our business model. Hello and welcome to the Glossy Podcast, our weekly show where we discuss fashion, luxury, and technology with the people making change happen. I'm your host and Glossy senior reporter, Hillary Milnes, and with me this week is the designer, Rachel Zoe. Hi, Rachel. Hi, how are you? Good, thanks. Thanks for coming on. We have you out in LA uh, where you're based, but so you're not actually in here in the office, but we're excited to chat. Uh, to start, why don't you give us a little bit of... Uh, background. Uh, obviously, I think everyone's familiar with your line and, and your businesses, but how, when did you decide to make the jump into fashion design and, and transition from your background as a stylist? Uh, when did it really feel like the right time? <laughs> you know, becoming a designer was something that everyone had asked me my whole life, kind of, I, I shouldn't say my whole life, I should say my whole career life as an adult. It was sort of always that same because I was collaborating with so many designers and constantly designing special custom things for my clients. And so it was that constant question of when will you be a designer? And finally in um, 2011, um, I just decided to, well really decided a couple years before that, but my first collection came to fruition in 2011. And I think it was just after so many years of being on all the different sides of the fashion industry from styling to curating to um, obviously designing and um, all the different things. I just finally said, okay, I want to, I want to put my, you know, my brand out there in a bigger way, in a tactile way, you know, instead mm -hmm. of providing just a service of styling, I wanted to actually have something tangible um, and start to bring my vision for women to life, honestly. With that that was really why and how it was born. Yeah, absolutely. And, and obviously for any new fashion designer, the people and the companies that you choose to partner with are, are so important. Uh, how did you decide, how did you make that those decisions and, and decide how to set up your brand that way? Obviously around 2011, we were at the boom of, of direct-to-consumer brands. Um, so was that an option? Uh, how did you decide whether to not go into uh, wholesale retail or, or just go direct? How, like a lot of decisions well, to be made at once. I well, yeah, I mean, I, I think if I was starting it now, there's different decisions to be discussed, you know, and, and thought out even more so than when I did, which was, um, God, seven, uh, I think it's about seven years now, which is crazy, or six years ago, mm -hmm. almost seven. I always know because I gave birth to my first collection literally a month before I gave birth to my first son. Wow. So, so um, <laughs> yeah, that was definitely an intense moment. Um, but, um, I think to answer your question, I think launching a brand in the more traditional sense at that time really felt right, meaning um, to do traditional retail um, and go into, I mean, we were in every door of Intermix and every, and we were in the windows at Bergdorf Goodman. We were at all Bloomingdale's. We, we launched in like 250 doors. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, with that said, I, I think that was too quick and too much. And I think that as a new designer, you know, I didn't really know how to navigate that very well. Um, and, you know, when someone's asking you for a product, you say yes. Um, right. But I think that I needed to really take the time to get to know my customer and understand who she was. And to be honest, that takes many years. 
Um, mm-hmm. And that was something a lot of my designer friends had said to me in the beginning is it really takes several years to navigate um, through the industry and sort of find your voice, um, you know, and, and, and what you mean to people as a designer and what your message is to people and what, you know, what makes you stand out, right? Mm-hmm. What, what, it, what is it as a designer that, that makes you stand out? Why do they want to buy your product over someone else's? And those are all things that over the last six years, I've really spent a lot of time trying to figure out. Yeah. So, so what's changed in, in those six years? Obviously, you guys launched uh, e-commerce in was that twenty sixteen? Yeah, Rel- relatively recently. Yep. So, uh, why um, why was it yeah. a few years delay? Um, because it's to be honest, it's bandwidth. It's something that um, it really takes a lot to do. It you can't just wake up and say, "I want to launch my own e-commerce platform." You have to really have the tools and the people and the team and the tech and the you know, the, um, the inventory and really understand, you know, when you're selling to your customer, what are you selling her, Mm -hmm. you know, and is she coming to your site for a different reason than she's going even Marcus or, um, you know, one of the specialty stores and why is she coming to you and what are you offering that's different? Um, and you really have to really figure that out. And so it's been incredible for us and it's been a really unbelievable experience to be able to connect with the customer so intimately and directly and really see who's buying. You know, it's, it's, it gives you so much um, insight into your customer. It's incredible. Yeah, absolutely. What did you learn uh, once you launched e-commerce that you weren't really getting from your retail partners beforehand? Well, I think when you have retail partners, which by the way, we still do have incredible retail partners. We aren't only right. direct. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think it's really important to have both um, because I think you really have to grow your e-commerce very steadily and very carefully. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I've learned that she really wants to come to me for dressing up and special occasions and novelty. And she doesn't want basics from me. Mm-hmm. Um, and she loves when I give her something special. She really does. She wants like sparkle and she wants special and she wants me to really educate her, um, on sort of why do you want this? How would you wear this? These are all the different ways in which this can work into your life. Um, and that's been incredible for me and really seeing the women who are buying the clothes mm-hmm. and you know what? They're women that are polished and really like to dress up and they love fashion and, they have very, very busy lives, but they need to look good while they're living those busy lives, you know? Yeah. So it, it's been nice for me. And I've actually lowered my price points as well, you know? And I think it's about providing value for the customer constantly. Oh, how did you make that decision to, to lower the price point? Um, because I think it's very dangerous in, in, in the price point that I'm in called contemporary you know, you can skew higher and then you get closer to designer price points mm-hmm. and then you're in a whole different bracket of, com- of competition. And then if you go too low, then you sort of price yourself out a little bit. So there's this kind of fine line between it's not that my customer won't spend money on something. She wants to know that she's getting something really special and worth it. And then she's happy to spend it. And that's been a really great learning lesson for me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it's not that you, so if you were to go back and, and start your brand today, it's mm-hmm. not like you would be 100% direct. Uh, you still find that value in balancing between wholesale and direct retail? I absolutely do because I think, I think you know, direct retail, I think really still hits um, a very core customer for me. 
um, uh, you know, she still likes to go into a store. Mm-hmm. She does not everybody, but I think they really like both. And I think it's just offering them something that's slightly more special. And I do have a lot of people in my life who go to stores and try things on. They want to, they want to touch it. Yes. They don't want to deal with returning it. They don't want to, you know, they just, they like it. Some people do. It's like how some people still actually read hardcover books, uh-huh. you know, <laughs> and not just online. It's the same concept. What about Rachel Zoe stores? Have you thought about those? Absolutely. It is in my very near future. Oh, it is. Very, very near future. Yeah, I'm very excited about it. And, um, but not too many, you know, mm-hmm. very careful and very slow and not too large. And I want it to be an experience. And I want women to come to my store to feel like they're really um, getting a part of the lifestyle and really buying a part of a brand and, and sort of, you know, getting closer to that sort of feeling of feeling really special in that moment. And I want to dress women in their ordinary moments and extraordinary moments. And when you're opening stores, do you feel that today you have to add or offer a little bit something extra rather than just here's, here's the yes, collection you can shop at and store? Yeah. What, what do you think that could look like? Yes. You know, I think it's, I think it's a mix of different things. I think it could be experiential using different tech things, you know, and giving them those sort of experiences in a fitting room. I think there's ways that I can curate a store for them so that it has other brands that sort of one-stop shopping for them Mm -hmm. Um, and not just my own collection. I think that helping women understand how to incorporate these pieces through every season and in all parts of their lives helps them understand sort of how to wear things better um, and more practically and you know, everything I design is meant for day or night, basically. Mm-hmm. So I think that's an important in messaging. But I think it's definitely about providing something that they can't get everywhere. Right, absolutely. I think that's a big part of it. And that's... Because uh, then why? Why are they coming to me? <laughs> exactly, because it seems like there's never been more competition for, for a designer uh, for a designer brand. Do you think that makes it harder for everyone yeah. across the board? And, and just, But at the same time, it, it kind of lifts everyone up to be ultra competitive and, and just really yep. gets rid of the ones who, who aren't cut out for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think for me, I always look at it as a challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, what can I bring that's new? What can I bring that's different? And I think, you know, people come to me for advice or curation, um, obviously for styling. Um, and I think it's how I plan to sort of incorporate that into a retail experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and you also did um, your first see now buy now style uh, offering with the was it the fall twenty seventeen collection back in February I think we, we spoke about did, it. Uh, yes, we did it. We showed it in February, um, and yeah, and it was successful for us. It was successful for us. But that said, I don't. I think that's something we'll continue to sort of go back and forth with a little bit. Because, you know, for me, I still really like the idea of, you know, wanting something and waiting a minute for it. You know, I don't think you have to get it that second. It's it's very difficult to sort of do that in a really efficient manner. Mm-hmm. Um, I think really big brands could probably do it as more of a trial and error type of thing. Um, but I think for me, it was something that did well for us. But right now, I want to continue to show you know, out, you know, show the season prior for the next season. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, in the tradition. Yeah. So did you, did you bring it back for September? Not for September. No. 
but that's not to say we won't do it again. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, you know, like I said, I think it's a lot of it is experimentation. And right now I'm trying different things. We did a pop in this summer in the Hamptons, um, at what goes around comes around and we're going to continue to do different initiatives like that. Um, to sort of just keep finding more and we're getting more intel about our customer. Yeah. So what did you learn from the people who did shop the Cena by now collection? Uh, it's, it's just funny because it feels like the fashion industry is always all of a sudden talking about this thing that is in line with customers. But I think the question of whether or not the customer actually wants this is, is still up for debate. I know. Uh, so what no. did you learn from, from well, that person? I, I don't necessarily think it means like, okay, see something at a show and buy it that night. I actually think it's more, okay, go into a store or go on online, whether it's Net-A-Porte or wherever, and say, I want this dress. I want to buy this now, but I want to wear this now. I'm not buying this to wear in three months from now. So I started to sort of think about that as I design the collections for the season. So that's kind of more how I've adapted to it. Yeah, I think that's really interesting is how this new business model or or way of selling affects the design process. I think we've heard, you know, some critics of it saying that it it sort of stems creativity and makes it, it just sort of takes that element out it of does. the whole process. It's too commercial. Uh, so, so how... It doesn't mean you're, you're like chasing it. You know, right. you're, you're chasing inventory. It's crazy. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's the, how did the design process differ for you then in terms of the, the items? Because it was just a few items that went on sale. It wasn't the whole collection. Um, for the right. see now, buy now? Yeah. Well, it was just a different thing. It was like making things that, you know, it's literally like protect, pretending that you have a crystal ball. Right. Like, <laughs> I think that women will want to see this and love this and want this right now. Mm-hmm. And in addition to that, you're also forecasting the inventory, the amount of units that you want to stock for that. So it's a, it's a big gamble for small brands, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, but that said, it could also be very effective. So I think for me right now, I, I want to try a lot of different things and see what works best with our customer and our audience mm-hmm. um, and, you know, see sort of what works the best, you know, from all sides. And when you do do the traditional model of showing in advance, showing it to buyers, is there an element of feedback that that's valuable to the overall business? And just that just that insight from that uh, retail partner perspective that you don't get if you just put it on sale immediately. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. It's absolutely because, well, listen, there's two things. Here's the thing. When you do traditional market, it's, it's very helpful in the sense that all of these buyers who are out there looking at everything are telling you sort of what they need or what's trending or what you may or may not have that's, you know, on trend at the moment. Right. Mm -hmm. But then you, um, the contrary to that, you know, you can also really lose yourself in that. And that's extremely difficult because you really do lose yourself in that. Um, you know, one buyer would come in and say, oh, we only want flowers this season. And you're like, okay, I better do Later, the competing retailer would come in and be like, oh, we don't sell flowers. Right. You know, <laughs> and you're just like, oh my God, I don't even want to do flowers. You right. know, so it's, it's, it's a big risk. Um, so you have to really stick to what you stand for. Um, and that was something that a mentor of mine early in my career had told me that you just have to kind of stick to what's true to you and not be swayed by too many people mm-hmm. um, that have different agendas and that are trying to sort of use you to, for, for them, you know? Right. And 
that's funny that you say that because it sounds very similar to the conversations we've had with um, both designers, uh, boutique owners, uh, who, and like people who uh, operate like e-commerce uh, platforms. So it's this um, idea that customer data can kind of meddle in the in the process that way too. And if you listen to it too much, it's you're just going to end up very one note, uh, kind of looking like everyone else. And so, yeah. I'm sure you get a lot of customer data because outside of the your fashion line, you have the Zoe Report, the media site, yep. Yep, and yep. then and Box of Style as well. So you're getting like three uh, <laughs> funnels of data. How do you sift yep. through it? But I'm sure it helps too. So how do, how do you strike that balance? It does help. Um, you know, it's navigating the noise. <laughs> it's really, you know, for me, I know this sounds super archaic, but for me, I really go with my gut a lot of the time. I really do. I start to really see um, with my actual eyes and hear with my actual ears, you know, the women that are responding most to the collection, you know, and I travel the world in the U.S. and I see who's wearing it. I see who's buying it. And um, I really try and kind of lean in on that woman, honestly. And, um, you know, I don't get too lost because I've never been someone that follows a trend. You know, I really follow my gut and typically a trend will be born out of that, if that makes sense. Um, not in, I don't mean that in an arrogant way, like I'm a trend setter. I don't mean it that way. I just mean that, like, I, I try to really not follow um, other people's work and get swayed by that. I, right. I really try to design what feels right to me and to the brand and for the customer. Like there's always glamour. There's always a sense of polish. There's always an effortlessness. There's never anything too uptight. Um, you know, I think finding that balance between finding things that are commercially viable mm -hmm. um, and then also still feeling like I'm putting out things that are new and interesting. I think those are, those are the, that's kind of the constant conversation in my head. Right. If that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, and <laughs> going off of that, was it the plan all along to to extend the business uh, outside of the the collections um, to, to the Zoe Report and, and Box of Style that that you see now? Or when did that kind of become well, an element? Well, the Zoe, the Zoe Report was actually born first. Um, the Zoe Report right. came to life in 2009. Um, and that came out of the, the time where I was doing my TV show and I had these best-selling books and all that stuff. And my husband, who was a former investment banker and then a media entrepreneur who was really kind of immersed in the internet and, um, and all of that was like, Rachel, you have all the people that want to hear your voice and your input and your authority, but we're not talking to any of them. Mm -hmm. And, um, that was sort of how we launched the newsletter. It was a daily newsletter called the Zoe Report. And every day I talked about a trend that was happening. And then what I did underneath it was I would say, okay, this is what so-and-so showed. And this is the beautiful moment that just happened in Paris and in, you know, whether it was Chanel or whatever else, but I know so many of us can't afford that. So here's the parallel universe, mm -hmm. which is the affordable way to wear this trend. And this is how you can buy it. I never showed like a knockoff. It was just sort of how to how to be able to do this yourself at home right. kind of thing. And that's how it started. And then it just kind of grew from there. And, 
you know, after that, I launched the collection about three years later, two, three years later. And, um, and then all of a sudden, it just sort of, you know, between the TV show and social media and my collection and the books and, you know, all of that, you know, this media business was born. And um, that was sort of how it came to fruition. And the Box of Style was launched um, almost three years ago, two and a half years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, again, that was in answer to um, curate for our audience, for our our women that come to us for advice and curation and ideas and styling and things like that. And the box of style is, you know, a quarterly subscription box that arrives at your doorstep and, you know, has these incredible beauty, fashion and accessories in them every month that I pick with my team and mm-hmm. carry it by the season. It's, it's, so what do you think every... So it was not the plan. It was not it the wasn't plan. The plan. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it wasn't the plan. Right. It was, um, you know, my plan was to try and be the best stylist I could be. That Mm -hmm. was my ultimate plan. That was it. And then I think everything else was um, born out of timing. Well, I've been doing this for a while and now I want to sort of expand on this and, you know, make my message to women sort of heard a little bit more because I really believe that every woman can and should live a life in style. And, you know, that, that's at any price point, at any budget, in any lifestyle there is, I think you can always look and feel your best. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I really believe that. And what do you think that the different um, arms of the business say about the way people like to shop uh, today and or, or, you know, think about the way that they find fashion? Do you think it's, it's representative yeah. of, a, of a very modern consumer? Yes, I mean... You know, it's just amazing when I think about it, even even how much it's changed in five years. Um, it's insane. I mean, I think, you know, obviously it's all about convenience. It's about instantaneous, um, it's instant gratification at the highest level. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the younger the consumer, obviously, the more that stands true. Um, I know my mother is still more than happy to spend hours and hours, you know, in a department store and she loves it. Right. Um, and I think it's slightly generational and I think, um, is it sustainable? I don't know. Um, but I know that you have to be nimble and you have to change with the times and you have to go with what people want. Um, and you, you know, there's that mm-hmm. old saying, give the people what they want. <laughs> so I do think there's an immediacy. People want to buy something that day, wear it that night. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that they want it online. They want it return. They want it returnable. They packaged and labeled. Um, you have to think about how to make things easier. Um, I think the phenomenon of social media has changed everything in every mm-hmm. industry, quite frankly. Yeah. Um, but I think fashion unequivocally has changed because of social media. Right. And, and what do you think that says about the way that designers have to operate? Like you said, it wasn't ever your plan to really have all these different <laughs> businesses going at once. But, you know, it kind of seems like you have to just throw out the old playbook and, and constantly be thinking about <coughs> what's new and what's and what's next rather than just doing things the old fashioned way. Correct. <laughs> and I no, no, it's true. I mean, you can't stand on ceremony. Mm -hmm. Um, at this time and you can't say, well, this is the way it worked four years ago. So this is how we're going to keep doing it. Um, you have to roll with the times you really do. You don't really have a choice. Um, but I look at it, you know, it's interesting. I think, you know, again, I say in the old days, but you know, when I was styling, 
nothing. There was no social media. There was no Instagram. You know, there was social media, but it wasn't used the way it is now. Right. Um, you know, and most certainly when I was styling, I mean, you weren't even allowed to tell people who you were styling. And now you see on social media, every single actress is posting their hair, make their hair, makeup, manicure, stylist, you know, being huge advocates for their team. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was not the case in my career. You know, um, it was a very sort of behind the scenes job styling. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a way that now artists, the same way as designers, when I say artists, I mean hairstylists, makeup artists, um, you are really, you know, if you take two people that have the same skill set, but you take one who has a big presence on social media, I mean, their opportunities will be limitless. I mean, they can launch product, they can get endorsement deals, you know, I think that you have to look at business differently. Now you have to amplify your brand, you know, whether it's something you're comfortable with or not, you have to, because you'll get lost if you don't. Right. And And that's what I hear constantly from designers now that, you know, they'll say to me, well, you're so lucky you already have your brand. I was like, well, you know, I've been building my brand, you know, over 20 years at this point. It's not like I started, you know, six months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's something now that because of social media, you can build a brand a lot quicker. I mean, you see it with influencers. Right, right, 100%. And so everyone has to have their their own personal brand. But do you see this, all this to say, everything that's changed the way that social media has impacted the industry. Do you think that there's still like an over heightened sense that that traditional fashion and and retail is in just this state of of turmoil and chaos? Uh, It seems like a lot of with all that being said, a lot of like the the traditional pillars of retail as we know it are are still intact. So so how do you sort of look at the industry and say like, okay, this isn't a good place or this is all a mess? You know, it's funny. It's, well, I mean, to answer your question, I think it's, it's hard. You know, I think being someone that isn't, you know, 24, just starting out and, you know, this isn't the very beginning of my career. I think having lived through different iterations of um, the industry, you know, I think it's a bit harder for some of us to sort of, you know, just completely toss aside you know, I guess what we've built the organic way, like the traditional way. Right. And right. say, like, wait, doesn't it count that we've been doing this for a long time? Mm-hmm. Like, but, you know, it, it doesn't. You can't, like, sort of rest. It's, you know, that's more ego. Mm-hmm. So I think you can't really let ego mm-hmm. dictate your plan. Um, I think you have to say this is what's working now. Um, and I, I think, you know, I'm seeing a lot of my- my, you know, sort of friends who have been doing this, you know, some 20, 30 years, and they're like, I don't understand. I'm the, you know, like this hairstylist I know who's like the most genius hairstylist of our time, but he doesn't even have Instagram, you know, and he's right. just like, what am I like? No one knows who I am. I was like, well, you know, maybe that's okay now. You know? right. <laughs> yeah, we're going to go full circle. <laughs> exactly. I mean, so the answer is I don't, no one is a crystal ball. I think you have to do what feels right for you. Um, you know, I, I, I would like to believe that you can be successful by still being a semi-private person, Mm -hmm. um, you know, um, and, and just kind of letting the product speak for itself. Um, I do believe at the, at the end of the day, product wins right? and whether people know who the person is behind the brand, I don't think ultimately 
has to matter if the product is great. Mm-hmm. There's many brands out there where people have no idea who the person behind the brand is, but they're killing it, you mm-hmm. know? So I think there's different ways of looking at success and building success. Right. And I think, yeah, I think it always comes down to product. That's something we, we kind of reach a lot on, on this podcast. Uh, we're almost out of time, but uh, before you go, if, if you did have to sort of look at the fashion industry where it is now, do you think that there is one threat that we can look at and say, like, this is the biggest threat to traditional fashion retail as we know it? Uh, what what kind of are you, do you always have like in the corner of your eye when it comes to, to, to threats to the industry? I mean, I, I, I think, gosh, you know, maybe like people trying, you know, the only direct, you know, only going direct and not having any sort of would be such a always goes, you know, kind of swings back and forth. And I think it's in hundreds of stores and grew very, 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 very fast. And I think sometimes when that happens, the trend then goes to, okay, you have to pull back, you know, 85 percent from from the way being for the last four years or whatever and I think it's the way that we get challenged and I think the threat would be god honestly I think a combination of discount sites and all of these things and competing and slashing prices Mm -hmm. you know and I think fast fashion um I think people not necessarily wanting to buy the real thing because they may not feel like they have to yep you know I think that's definitely a scary thought Right, right. That's that's interesting. I I think I'm sure that people are kind of wary of fast fashion brands now. Though there's a lot of a lot of things out there. <laughs> there is, and I I do think that there's something to be said for them. And I do love, you know, the H and M's and the Top Shops and the Uniqlo's. I love them because I think it makes fashion accessible for so many people. Mm-hmm. And I really really appreciate that. Um, I really do. I just think some people just typically will make a really watered down version of, of a garment. And then, you know, and then I think it just, things get lost. And I, you know, I just don't want to see the, the art completely get lost in the mm-hmm. commerce of it all. Right. Yeah, of course. Um, well, great. Well, not ending on a super positive note, talking about threats and <laughs> deep, yeah, right? no, disturbing parts of fashion industry. But, uh, but yeah. thank, thank, thanks so much, Rachel. I really uh, enjoyed the conversation. You too. Good to talk to you. Great. And thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode. And in the meantime, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play and leave us any feedback you have.